Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello Church. We're starting a new sermon series today called Those Early Days. Have you ever had a family reminiscing session where you sit with maybe a grandfather or a grandmother or other family members and you talk about your family's history. You know what occurred to me recently is that we really only know a couple of generations back. Maybe our grandparents, maybe our great-grandparents. If you've done a bit of an ancestry search, you might know a little bit more about your family, but it wasn't that long ago, maybe a hundred years, 150 years back, where our ancestors are just unknown to us. And yet, only a few generations ago, they were making a big impact on our lives. And it's so helpful. I remember studying with my wife about some of her ancestors who were pioneers. They left England, they went to South Africa, they trekked up into Africa. And the hardships that they went through, they had to make their own soap. The one lady, her dress was ruined, and so she had to just use a towel for several weeks while they made new clothes. And just the the hardships that they were willing to go through and the discussion we had was, aren't we weak these days? Just a couple of generations ago, our ancestors were willing to go through such hardship and were such brave explorers, pioneering new things. And look at us, we complain when the internet is too slow. Today, I want to look at the book of Acts because it is our Christian heritage. You know, some people are traditionalists when it comes to their Christianity. They say, I want to sing the old songs. I want to do things the old way. I want to go back to how it was in my grandparents' time. And I have in the past had discussions. I don't want to call them arguments, but discussions with people like that and say, come on, let's move ahead. But I've now come to a different point of view. And that point of view is it's okay to be a traditionalist, but you must go back all the way to the beginning, the book of Acts, when the Bible shows us the beginnings of the Christian church. And there is so much in here. And so we're going to go through the book of Acts. We're going to learn what our Christian heritage is, because the way they started was a pattern for us. The Bible says in several places that there are patterns in the Bible that are for us. They are, they are to help us imitate and learn from. And in Jude, it says that the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. What we have in the Bible is a model for us. And so let's go back. Let's be real traditionalists and go back to the book of Acts, not just back 50 years, not 100 years, not even 400, 500, 1,000 years. Let's go right back to the beginning and learn how the church began, because that is your heritage and mine. The same Holy Spirit who empowered them is alive and well and available to you today. The same scriptures that they read and used and some of them wrote are available for us today and they haven't changed. And the Great Commission has never changed. So let's start this exciting journey and let's learn from the book of Acts. The church really begins in Acts chapter 2. 
You probably know the story about the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 1 says, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then they went out, they preached on the streets of Jerusalem. 3,000 people were added to their number. They were a group of 120, but suddenly they swelled to 3,000. And then a few days later, another 5,000 were added. And the church grew in Jerusalem and then spread abroad. But I want to start today with a prequel of Acts chapter 1, which tells us the setting you remember that these disciples and many of the other 120 had been with Jesus for three years, following him around uh, Jerusalem, Galilee, the various areas where he went. They were learning from him. They were being challenged. They were watching the miracles and the signs and wonders. Their lives were being changed so much. And they were participating in the miracles. At least 70 of them were sent out to cast out demons, heal the sick, and do mighty things. And so these people had been greatly affected by knowing Jesus personally. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That word another means another one just like the first one, which was him. He said, the Father will give you another one just like me, another friend, another helper, another one who's called alongside to, to counsel and guide and help you. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said, I will come. When the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be me coming. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same person, just in different forms. And he said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Another helper just like me will come. He has been with you, but he will be in you. And he goes on to say all the great things the Holy Spirit will do. And in Acts, we see the setting for this. Now, after Jesus rose again from the dead, it was 40 days, nearly six weeks, that he interacted with people. At one stage, he appeared to 500 people gathered in Galilee. And it's interesting that only 120 were in the upper room in Jerusalem. Maybe the other 380 were in Galilee meeting in different places, or maybe they drifted away. You know, of the thousands, multiplied thousands, hundreds of thousands who followed Jesus during his three-year ministry, it whittled down to 120 committed people. And we as churches, church leaders, Christians, shouldn't be worried about the numbers game too much because that's God's job. We just do what God has called us to do. And sometimes people leave and we trust God with them. But in Acts chapter 1, Luke the doctor writes, the former account I made, O Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. Do you love God? He's written this book to you. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. In other words, the, the life and ministry of Jesus 
recorded in the book of Luke and in the other gospels was just the beginning of his ministry. He is still doing things and he is still teaching things through his Holy Spirit right now. And even the book of Acts only has 28 chapters, but it's still being written in heaven. And what you do and what I do is still a continuation of what the Holy Spirit is doing, what Jesus began to do and to teach and is still doing. Right. Until the day he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. In the Gospels, that was the message, the kingdom of God. In the time between his resurrection and ascension, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Throughout the book of Acts, they spoke about the kingdom of God. The message we have is the kingdom of God, and we will expand on that further later. Verse uh, 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said, Don't leave Jerusalem. You haven't got everything you need yet. There is this in-between period. I'm going back to the Father. I promised to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, to help you. But he hasn't come yet. You'll know when he comes. And don't leave, don't start this job, this ministry, this life for me until you have received the Holy Spirit. In Luke 24, he said, until you have been endued with power from on high or clothed with power from on high. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized means immersed, covered, submerged, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they still thought it was about earthly things. They hadn't worked out in their minds yet the difference between a spiritual kingdom and an earthly kingdom, even though Jesus had made it so clear, so clear. In John 6, when people were looking for physical bread, he said, I am the bread of life. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Uh, again and again, he showed that it's the spiritual that matters and the earthly is passing away. And there was this clear distinction uh, about the spirit. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And yet the disciples still, after three years with him, after seeing him die and rise again, after having 40 days of him proving that he was alive, they still didn't understand that it's a spiritual kingdom, that the spiritual is first, is more important, is the main thing that Jesus was all about. In Luke 17, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Don't run around looking for something external. It's within you. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not about food and drink, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual thing and the physical comes later. But they still thought it was about an earthly kingdom, getting their king or their president to be in power or getting their laws put in place or or changing social justice or or abolishing slavery or whatever the different things that we often think about as being the kingdom of God, earthly things, human things, politics, causes, social justice are important, but they're not the main thing. They said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So, so amazing. 
that they were still confused. Jesus replies, replies in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. We, we do our part and we trust God to do his part. And when we get our priorities right, you remember Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these earthly other things will be added to you. When we do things in the right order with the right priorities, God's way, with our heart's desire being what God desires first and foremost, which is the salvation of people's spirits. Let me just say this for a second. Imagine you went into a hospital and everyone was dying of a deadly disease and you had the cure for that disease. Now, is it important that the people in the hospital have good food? Yes, it is. Is it important that the beds are made? Yes. Is it important that the floors are cleaned? Yes. Is it important that there's nice music playing? Yes. Is it important there's justice and good uh, laws of righteousness in the hospital? Yes. But the most important thing is that the patients get the cure. That is the most important thing. All those other things are really just subsidiary to helping us get them cured of this disease. Friends, you and I have the cure for eternal separation from God. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus, forgiveness of sins. And that must always be first prize. We can think about those other things as long as they are subsidiary and helping us to get people to know the cure to the disease called eternal separation from God. Please, please get that. It is so important. Imagine on the Titanic as the, as the ship is sinking, somebody saying, there's a lifeboat there, but I'm just going to rearrange these chairs and make sure they're all in the right place. Sometimes we're so focused on earthly things, politics, social justice, um, whatever it is, even the environment, all the different good causes. I'm not saying they're bad causes, but they're not the main thing that Christians, you and I, should be concerned about. You know, the government, when Jesus was on earth and after Jesus, when the disciples were doing their ministry, the government was a corrupt government. They were corrupt in so many ways. They, they did not rule well or justly or righteously. The laws were bad. They were anti-Christian. Christians were persecuted and put to death, treated unfairly. There was slavery. There were so many bad practices. Women were mistreated. And God cares about all those things, but not once in the New Testament do you see Jesus or Paul or anyone else saying, let's campaign for social change and politics and justice. Not once. They never mention it. Paul says that slavery is not a good thing. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says it's not a good thing. If you can get out of slavery, get out of it. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, Paul says that slave trades slave traders or the slave trade is a terrible sin but that is subsidiary to getting people saved and then later when christians have put themselves in positions to fix slavery in the 1600s 1700s 1800s in america and england and other parts of the world it was the christians who abolished slavery slavery was never god's plan but it's more important that people get saved and we then start fixing social ills. The liberation of women often in most countries was, was Christians pushing that ahead. All the social issues that Christians have done, we have changed the world, but it's got to come second to getting people saved. And when the two work together, you have 
a good representation of God's heart, but the cure for eternal separation is what counts. Amen. It's not for you to know the times that the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Friends, the Great Commission is still our mission. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the Great Commission is the last thing Jesus says before He ascends to heaven. In Matthew, we know it, all authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples, baptize, teach, uh, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. In Mark, he says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. Miraculous signs, healings, miracles, all sorts of things. In John, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. In Luke, he says, and this gospel will be preached from Jerusalem and um then he says, "You, but wait, in, and you will receive power from on high. It's the same Great Commission in all of these historical accounts, and it is our mission. And social issues are important, but they do not save people from hell. What's the point of having a perfect society with great government and great laws if everyone goes to hell when they die? It doesn't matter. We need to get people to know Jesus and then add the social work as well, and the two go well together. You will be by witnesses. The Great Commission is our mission. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, two angels said, he's coming back in the same way. They then uh, continued to meet all 120 of them, including Jesus's brothers, which is interesting because they had not believed in him while he was alive, but now they did. And his mother, 120 meeting, and they decided that they needed to replace Judas as one of the 12 apostles. And they said they needed to find somebody who had been with them right throughout Jesus' ministry. Verse 23, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So I just want to mention a few points about a church that is in between. Let's just be clear. These people knew Jesus. Friend, you have to know Jesus. These people had seen Jesus crucified for them. You have to see and believe and receive Jesus' crucifixion for you to be saved. These people had heard Jesus' teaching, and we need Jesus' teaching. These people had been told the Great Commission of what their mission was. We need that. But they were still waiting for power. And I want to close by making one important point here today. Many, many people, I believe, are in the same position as Acts chapter 1. They've seen Jesus. They know Jesus. They've learned from Jesus. They love Jesus. They've understood his death on the cross for them. But they haven't been endued with power from on high. And Jesus said, you cannot do this job that I'm calling you to do, spreading the great commission, the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. You cannot do it 
without this power in your own strength. You cannot do it. And it's not just about words. The kingdom of God is not about words, but power, the Bible says. It's not just saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but then seeing none of his power. Uh, we can't just give mental assent and say, yes, the Holy Spirit is real and true. And, and even some people say, yes, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous gifts of tongues and prophecy and healing and all these different things. Yes, they are for today, but they never see them in their ministries, in their churches, in their lives. Their, their meetings are so organized that if the Holy Spirit disappeared, it wouldn't be an issue. But if the electricity supply went off, it would. That's how we've got to the place where we are so um, uninterested in the Holy Spirit in many, many parts of the Christian world. And I want to say it's a tragedy and it is desperately, desperately uh, important that churches and Christians get the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at Pentecost and how they were filled. But I want to say to you that it is available. The Holy Spirit's power is available. The, the miraculous gifts, Mark 16, the Great Commission, he says, these signs will follow those who believe. They will speak in tongues. They will heal people, all these different things. It is part of God's plan and his desire for us. And in fact, it's not just an added optional extra where we say, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'll go to a church where the power of the Holy Spirit is evident. No, we must have it because Acts chapter 1 was given to us for this reason. Let me, let me ask you this question. Just dream with me for a moment here. Why did Jesus leave a 10-day period between his ascension and the pouring of the Holy Spirit? He didn't need to do that. The Holy Spirit, he could have stayed until the day of Pentecost or the Holy Spirit could have been poured out earlier or God can organize these things. I believe the reason is to show us our need and the desperate poverty we have when we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, my church knows doctrine. Yes, that's their new doctrine. You say, we, we believe in the crucifixion and we know about Jesus. Yes, they, they knew about that, but they didn't have the power yet. Experientially, they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And in those 10 days, they demonstrated what a church without the Holy Spirit's power is like. Number one, they are confused as to doctrine because 1 Corinthians 2 says we cannot understand the things of God and the, the truths, the wisdom of God without the Holy Spirit's power. We get confused. We think that the Great Commission is just one of many things the church could be doing instead of it being our main thing. We, we think, oh, it's about some other social issue or whatever. We're confused about doctrine and our, our teaching is not entirely fully correct. You know, in Acts chapter 18 and 19, Priscilla and Aquila and Paul go to a town called Ephesus and they see a man called Apollos there. And it says he taught about Christ accurately. He was a powerful preacher, but he didn't understand about the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He still taught about the baptism of John just being repentance. Baptism is just a repentance issue. He didn't understand it's about being filled with God's presence as well. And so Priscilla and Aquila, this couple professional couple took him aside and described to him and he was changed and, and he saw things fully and he moved on to another city and carried on his ministry and power but he left behind 12 disciples 
who he hadn't told the, explained the full truth to. And Paul arrives in Acts chapter 19, and it says, Having passed through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Which is a very strange thing, because it's possible for you to be a Christian, but you haven't received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are many Christians who are Acts 1 Christians. They know Jesus, they believe, but they haven't been filled with the Spirit. You say, are there other examples of this? Yes, there are. Uh, Acts chapter 8, the Sumerian Christians, when they believed Philip's preaching, it was only when Peter and John came and prayed for them, they were filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Paul believed in Jesus when he saw him on the road to Damascus. But it was three days later that Ananias came and prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 6, when they're choosing leaders, deacons to serve, they say, make sure they're men full of the Holy Spirit from among your number. In other words, some were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important that we understand Acts chapter 1 is a reality for some Christians. They've understood Jesus, but they haven't received the power. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after them, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And the previous chapter, chapter 18, talking about Apollos, it says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Other versions say the things of Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. These people were disciples of Apollos and they hadn't been filled with the Spirit. So we get our doctrine wrong. We are powerless. We are huddled in a little room. We're not affecting the world. There's a small number of us scared of the world outside us. Doctrine wrong, powerless and, and, and afraid. And then lastly, our guidance comes from luck. We throw lots to decide who should be the next apostle instead of letting the Holy Spirit's guidance come from within us. Friend, are you an Acts chapter 1 Christian? Because I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is available. Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, if an earthly child goes to their earthly father and says, please, can I have some food? He won't give you a snake or a scorpion or a stone. He will give you what you ask in the same way your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Friend, cry out to him. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I pray, give me more of your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. I want this power. I need it. I can't live without the power of your Spirit. Please fill me and allow me to walk in the miraculous power and gifts of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I will start to prophesy, start to pray for healing, start to speak in tongues, start to do the things that I couldn't do in my own strength. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.